Popculture Pastor. Cody, this is a podcast. It is. Which is a pretend conversation. I'm a, this is a pretend conversation. You're a pretend person in a, with a pretend job. Yeah. Right now, I'm having a lot of trouble pretend, caring enough to pretend. That hurts. <laughs> I think that was Roy's point. That was Roy's point. <laughs> but hit too deep. <laughs> I think that might have been the best Roy slam of the series. <laughs> that oh, was yeah. just hilarious. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretend match. <laughs> it's a this is a pretend conversation. <laughs> um, which friendlies are pretend matches. I, I I don't really get the purpose besides it's like a scrimmage uh before regular season starts for yeah. high school athletics. <laughs> yeah, it's like a preseason uh football game. Our football. Yeah, it doesn't matter who wins. It yeah. just is Often there's lots of players playing that probably won't be playing in the game that matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I, it cracks me up the way they do the uh, so soccer in particular. They have the friendlies between the national teams, too. Yeah. Which, again, like some players, but there's a lot of players playing that probably wouldn't be playing if it was a real, you know, even for the United States, like CONCACAF or whatever they call it. Yeah, the stuff that actually leads right into the qualifying for World Cup. But anyways, that was a great line. This was a great episode. It might be, Cody. This might be my favorite episode of Ted Lasso ever. That's saying something. Mm. And I know that that's going to be widely debated because Mm -hmm. I will fully admit this episode hits me in a place um, that is... One, pastoral, spiritual, pastoral. Uh, there's a lot of imagery they use in this episode that I just I just immediately took to different places. And I know, like, if you're here, if you're there for Ted Lasso just for the story advancing, you probably didn't like this episode. Mm. There's some characters that it definitely, like, launched their story significantly. Where yeah. I thought that they kind of had been stalling a little bit. Well, there was, yeah, so there was major character movement, I thought, yeah. immense, among some of the characters uh, and their plot. Um, and it all centers around this idea uh, that is very Amsterdam called, <laughs> I'm going to try and pronounce this right, Gehelic. It sounds like you have a loogie <laughs> that you're trying to spit up. It looks like when you look at the word, it looks like gazellic, but I, I, I think it's helic. So this is a, this is a real thing that the it character uh, on the boat tells Rebecca about in the episode. And boat I guy. like, look, you know, it's a good episode of television when it sends me right onto the internet to start doing research. Um, so this episode sent me back to an art experience that I had over the summer. Okay. Well, hold on to that. I, I, I definitely want to hear that. Or do you, were you going to tell it now or did it have a, a certain time and place? Um, I mean, it can connect later on the pod. Okay. That's good. Cause 
That's Gehelic. is Pop Culture Pastor, <laughs> the Watch Alongs podcast. Yeah, yeah. Get, get the intro out there since yes. we haven't talked about that yet. Y- you might have been wondering who are these guys. I just want. Sometimes I want to. I want to go into the pod as long as possible without saying the name. Just you know, so people will have to listen to most of it to figure out if they're listening to the right thing or not. Yes, you had to listen to a couple minutes this time. Uh, so Gehelig or Gazelig. If you're looking at it and just trying to pronounce it uh, in an American way is is very much a part of Amsterdam culture. I am on DutchAmsterdam.nl. I don't even know what that means. I don't know either. Um, I assume it's the Netherlands, uh, you know, dot like we have dot com. I just assumed it meant not licensed. (laughs) No, Uh, here it is. Gehelic is untranslatable, as our friend on the boat tells Rebecca. That's what he says. Locals and foreigners alike will tell you that the word cannot be translated. I'm reading this straight from their uh, the Dutch Amsterdam Am- Amsterdam.com website. Its meaning includes everything from cozy to friendly, from comfortable to relaxing, from enjoyable to gregarious. This is from Wikipedia. A perfect example of untranslatability is seen in the Dutch language through the word Gehelic, which does not have an English equivalent. Literally, it means cozy, quaint, or nice, but can also connote time spent with loved ones, seeing a friend after a long absence, or general togetherness. However, to the Dutch, it goes way beyond cozy. You'll hear the word a lot when you visit Amsterdam, um, Here are some indications as how to understand it and use it. This is from the website again. A brown cafe is Gehelic. A dentist's waiting room is not. Though it could be if your friends accompany you, particularly if they are Gehelic. An evening on the town with friends is Gehelic. Especially if you have a dinner at a Gehelic restaurant, see a good movie, and finish with a drink at a Gehelic pub. Trying to entertain the in-laws from hell is definitely not Gehelic. So this is this is cool. Um, this word, as far as I can tell, if I'm going to try and speak with my own words and try to translate this gazelle, gazelle, however you pronounce it, word, it means in the present right now. It has to be present tense, right? Mm. Right now, this is gazelle, Cody, me talking to my good friend, Cody. Mm-hmm. And this moment where we're connecting, this is gazelle. And as soon as this idea was introduced into the episode, uh, I got excited because this sounds like a lot, a lot like another word that the English language cannot translate. That is also a cultural word. What word are you thinking of? Because I had two words. That came oh, you to had my two. Mind. Okay. Uh, the word I immediately thought of was shalom. Okay. So that was one of them. Yeah. Another one, you also would have to know Hebrew. And it is. Chesed. Oh, what's now? What's that mean? So, if I don't put the strong emphasis on it because I'm not Jewish, um, <laughs> Hesed uh, may be interpreted as the faithful love of God expressed towards His people because of the covenant relationship between them. Um, and um, Hesed uh, can be expressed between people but usually in a uh, sort of uh, unity 
or community around God. So like it, it's kind of borders on the line of grace as well. It has a lot of different uses and interpretations. So like if you see the word grace in the Old Testament or mercy, usually it's hesed. Mm, okay. And so like, but it's something that God shows us um, and sometimes when we are in devotion to God, we can show it to other people. Yeah. So Shalom, for those listening that need an update on that one, which, um, yeah, I, I like, by the way, I like the, the, how do you say that word again? The Hesed. Hesed. Uh, it, it's, it mainlines the connection between you and God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so hold on to connection because I think that's a big part of Gaelic as well. Um, shalom, which is the word I first thought of when he was describing Gaelic, and then when I looked it up, is uh, the Jewish word basically for we translate it to peace. Uh, weenies. Yeah, <laughs> it's really not. It's so much more than that. It's it's again like like he uh, uh, characterizes Gaelic. It's a word that English can't translate. English can't quite do the heavy lifting of translating no. this word, this cultural word. And shalom instead means so much more than peace. It actually means um, everything as it should be. Nothing missing, nothing broken, complete. Yeah. So there's a feeling that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. It's cultural. And it it it, it does kind of pass on like in its meaning a connection right and like i mean it's kind of used in greetings and yeah it it definitely has connectivity to it so what is why is this important what do you what are you getting at dave why are we talking about these words because gehelic shalom hesed hesed there's this idea in these words that if you put them all together and, and blended them up and then spit out something, I think it says this, that peace and comfort or coziness, if we're going to go with the, the Dutch Amsterdam way, is attainable even in a broken world by finding the beauty in our connection to a higher authority, which would be um, your calling, mm-hmm. uh, what you're here for, your purpose, and a connection to each other. That's a big piece yeah, and that one's clearly the part that's explored here in this episode as everyone in the Ted Lasso world, minus a couple characters, um, are in this Gaelic moment in mm. this episode. And I just want to kind of go through the stories. And then um, at, the, at the end of the episode, when uh, the, they're playing... Let's get lost now. The Chet Baker song. Mm, so yeah. when uh, uh, what's his name? Leslie. Leslie is yeah playing the with the the jazz band, and they're playing this jazz song. We see like this vignette of all the people in their little Gaelic, and and it's beautiful, minus a couple characters. But let's just go through them and let's go through and talk about each of these characters' kind of episode through the lens of Gaelic. Can we okay. do that? You, you up we for can that? try. Yeah. There, there's going to be one character <laughs> I will admit that I have beef with temporarily. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. 
like, look, it's written by humans, so <clears throat> we can have beef. And this is really about the way this episode was speaking to me. So if it didn't speak this to you, that's fine. Word. Uh, but let's start with Roy and Jamie. Roy. Yeah. Roy and Jamie. Um, oh, man. Like, their story is kind of fun. There's perhaps no one else in the locker room. Um who's more capable of understanding Roy than Jamie and vice versa. Yeah. And, and like the story, this story is going about how it goes in the real world. A lot of the times where it can go where at first you're at odds, Mm -hmm. this dude, this person's like me. I'd never admit it. And it makes me not like them. Yeah. And there's a recurring theme in this episode that the way they handled their brokenness in their respective lives was quite different, but that that as we move into this episode, they start doing something really special, which is, um, I believe, the ancient Israelites who uh, practiced shalom or wanted shalom would say this. It was an important part of that connection. They started empathizing with each other, and yeah. we see that a lot in this episode. Um, holy cannoli. Roy was like an open book. Yeah, uh, with Jamie uh, compared to what he normally is, um, it was amazing to see uh, him put down his guard, which he has up all the time, and it's like part of his persona is that he's this tough, macho, uh, very short of speak kind of guy. Yeah, we and of course their episode starts with. Um, being on the bus after this tough game where they just got blown out in a friendly. <laughs> and everyone, Coach Lasso gives the team this this freedom. He says, no curfew tonight. They're in Amsterdam. Everybody gets excited. Jamie gets excited. And Roy from the back of the bus, not for you, Tart! <laughs> Which is another one of the funniest parts of the episode. And he says they're going to train. And Jamie kind of dominates this interaction. It looks like it's going to be Roy, but it's actually Jamie. And Jamie's running, like leading them to all these sites. Um, Jamie in a past life could have been a tour guide. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's very happy. He's very excited. And, and I want, I want you to hold on to this too, because with Shalom and with, I think, Gahelic, there's a common theme about when you're in the present and you're connected to this, whatever this idea is, it doesn't matter that your world's not perfect, that, that, that you're still living in a broken world and not, not everything is still going your way, but that, that there is a way that connecting in this way can, can change your um, perspective and outlook on the situation. And I think Jamie's already kind of there. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't put up a fuss at all. He's like, all right, we're going to run. We're going to train. He's leading Roy around. And Roy's still very much not Gaelic. He's angry. He is. He's upset. Keely has moved on. Yeah. She was going to the airport to meet Jack. Yeah. Yeah. And Rebecca delivers maybe one of the lines of the series, definitely a, a great line in the show where he says, where is she going? And she, Rebecca says to be with, to be with someone who thinks they deserve her. 
burn. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and there's like a little wry smile on her face when she, cause she knows what she's just done. She does. She's pierced Roy, which is what he needed. Yeah, apparently. And so at first he's angry. Cause of course he's angry, but then they have this like great episode together where Roy opens up. So the funny thing about them is they have a lot in common, but as we know, pain can be isolating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you're in pain, your first impulse is to be like, well, no one else knows how I'm feeling. But when Roy opens up and lets Jamie in, all of a sudden they have a lot. In, they actually have a lot in common. They do have things in common. And so um, we find out that and Jamie finds out that Roy doesn't never learned how to ride a bike. Embarrassing. Yeah. For Roy <laughs> at that moment. It's not embarrassing if you don't know how to ride a bike, but if you would like to learn to ride a bike, either come by our studio and I can show you, or YouTube is always available. <laughs> of course, Jamie and the homeless guy who gets the bikes laugh at him in the moment, but then Jamie softens up once he sees that Roy's quite emotional about it. And Roy has a deep memory connected to why he never learned how to ride a bike. Yeah, for granddad. Uh, which was a bit of bliss or kismet or um, the Amsterdam word that I can't pronounce or even shalom because uh, Jamie and Roy's first interaction as members of the same club, uh, they introduce Roy and he calls him granddad. Yeah, quite a bit actually. Yes. In a in a insulting way he calls him granddad. And in this one Jamie says for granddad because Roy's granddad died before he could teach him how to ride a bike. So, uh this whole story, first of all, did you think there was anything up with the windmills? For for no apparent reason they're in the, on the search for windmills and I'm getting this whole Don Quixote Pancho Villa vibe. Um I Not was, Pancho Villa, but you know, you know what I mean. Yes, I was, I was ready for, uh, like, something weird to happen with the windmills, but then, yeah, it it didn't come to fruition. But maybe it was more symbolic of, um, this bike ride is is you trying to fight a monster, but really the monster is. It's nothing more than yeah. just the windmill. Maybe we're just supposed to see them get lost in their connection, mm. which they kind of do. They're they do. they're late back to the bus. They're the last ones to get back. Yeah. They and, were the first ones to leave and the last to get back. <laughs> and it's just so stinking satisfying. It was so stinking satisfying to watch Jamie give Roy this piece of his lost childhood, as well as some really like nuggets of character building. Did you catch how when Jamie is telling Roy about his trips to Amsterdam, he tells Roy that his dad brought him there to be intimate with a lady for the first time? Yes. And he was only 14. So, like, first of all, you're lost in the horror of that. Like, oh, my goodness. What? Um, Roy actually says that must have been traumatizing, to which another one of the funniest lines in the episode when Jamie says... Oh no, she she, she loved it. <laughs> like, it was it was funny in the moment, but then the the sadness, the tragic part comes right after it because he he says I don't really remember it. 
he doesn't really remember the first time he was intimate with someone, which should be a bigger deal. But then recounts into like real details of when his mom took him to Amsterdam the next year. Yeah. When they went sightseeing and he remembers all this stuff. And he remembers every detail. Like yeah. this is a certain bridge and this road is where this took place. Yeah. And this is the tiniest, squarest house in all of Amsterdam. And yeah. So there's something really sweet in that Roy and Jamie are connecting actually through their trauma. And Jamie has no idea he's been traumatized in that instance. And yet Roy in the audience says, Oh yeah, it was just really clever writing in yeah. my opinion, really clever. Anyways, they're experiencing Gaelic through their connection. I'll agree. Uh, let's move on to the team. The team struggling on making on making the decision on their free night in Amsterdam, and 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 they're just really having a hard time figuring out what they're gonna do. Lots of comedy in here. Yeah, Danny is a standout because of his want to see a tulip. Uh, a whole field would just be overwhelming. <laughs> the scene where they're voting and one person has voted for Tulip and they all look at him and he's like, I believe someone voted for Tulip. And they're like, Danny, you wrote it in Spanish. He's like, someone wrote it in Spanish. <laughs> yes. But literally, I about died when uh, they're like, you want to go to the Tulip fields? And he's like, no, I <laughs> Just one. Uh, literally, a whole field would be overwhelming. <laughs> Way too overwhelming. So just when it looks like, because they can't decide on that, uh, and then when they finally decide on what they're going to do, then the food's brought up, and they all start fighting again, thanks to the, the the Frenchman who's not eating Dutch food and seems disgusted to be even be in ne the Netherlands. Uh, he, uh, the, They look like they're about to fracture... And the captain stands up. We are riven by these crossroads, <laughs> which I, this whole speech, I was sure they copped from Shakespeare. They, they didn't. He's just speaking that way, which is hilarious. Yeah. He was over the top <laughs> and he won't let them fracture. He's, he's urging them to stay together. And at the end of the night, the freedom they find is acknowledging the connection they have transcends their petty, often fleshly desires, which, mm. again, I find this fascinating. Yeah, because you had that moment, the moment with Jamie, and then there's another moment that kind of all ties in with that. But um, I did have slight issue with this. It, it's it's the thinnest of the storylines. Just because they highlight that, oh, no, we can't split up the team. All of us have to be there or none of us have to be there. Yeah. Um, but yet there's one person mm. that excludes himself from the team and uh, uses food poisoning um, right. as an out. But like if that one person wasn't going... Shouldn't that have made the decision if it was an all or nothing thing? Yeah, I, we can we can chalk it up to. Well, he lied to them and he mm -hmm. excused himself. 
Uh, so they don't have control over that, I, I guess. Also, the script writers had to find a way to get Colin and Trent out on their own. Yeah. So they can have their moment. Let's move on to Colin and Trent. Colin lies, sneaks away from the team. Bad herring. Um, we, f- we know, and he explains to Trent after Trent tracks him down, unloads with his secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, that well his double secret trent knows about colin has known for quite some time which the audience knew yeah i knew a long time ago and we find out that trent himself is gay that was which, a revelation I, it was but it's not shocking yeah he's he's an effeminate guy and um that's not always an indicator of of you know that sort of thing but it's not like it doesn't blow you away because it seems like okay I can see that. Um, And Colin starts speaking about his, he feels trapped in a double life. And it's through this intervention to Trent, who shares a similar story, that Colin is able to achieve some freedom, if only for a night, from the stress of wearing masks. Now, um, I think anybody who's done this, who's had to keep something secret in their life, can understand the stress of this. Mm-hmm. What what he's trying to get across here. And I find it really interesting that what he doesn't care about is uh, uh, what what we would think would be the hot button issue. Right. Mm-hmm. Actually, what he says is, I just I don't want to be a spokesperson. So the reason he's keeping it all a secret is not because he cares about his teammates knowing or other stuff like that. It's actually because of the the culture. Yeah. He says, I don't want to be used as a spokesperson. I just want to be me. I just want to be a soccer player. You know, yeah. I thought that was very interesting. It was. And him highlighting that he kind of compartmentalizes himself um, between uh, soccer player Colin and outside soccer Colin. And it almost creates a realm of dissociation. Mm-hmm. And he highlights that he wants those two to to come closer um or be close to unison um but it was really intriguing that he he highlighted that there is pressure uh from the culture that if uh you are of the lgbtq persuasion that um you have to be an advocate you have Mm -hmm. to be a spokesperson especially in spaces and places that it's either not prominent or not well known um, to have um, LGBTQ representation. And let's just, uh, let's just drop the politics around his story because like whether you're liberal or conservative is going to adjust the way you think what his character says, what he wants is connection. Yeah, that's it. That's the human need. The human need is I want to be around the people I love. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's Gaelic. So he's he's talking through this story of why he can't achieve this. And it's not what you think. You know, like I think professional athletes, when we think of that in general, we think, well, he can't because it's just a macho atmosphere. And as it turns out, that's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. It's instead this idea that I don't want to be used. Yeah. You know, with when all I want is human connection. And so he gets that through a friend. 
with Trent. There's clearly it's not romantic. They yeah used Trent in a way that I was not expecting at the beginning of the season. Me either. I thought the conceit was going to be Trent's going to have a hard time not putting this in his book. Instead, Trent um, is is very human actually, and has a big heart. Evidently, yeah. And I thought that that was a beautiful uh, story, little side story. And again, it's highlighting there are all these stories are working together to show you something about Gaelic, which I really, really loved. Higgins and Will, yes, the Kit Man, <laughs> who's going to be a man tonight. He is. <laughs> Uh, Higgins takes him to the red light district in Amsterdam. And you're thinking, what's happening here? Um, literally it's a running joke throughout the whole episode. Like, <laughs> are they really? No, nah, nah, nah. And I think if you've watched the whole series, you know, that Leslie Higgins was not, was not taking young will to anything untoward. Instead, he takes him to the place where Chet Baker died this famous jazz musician. Yeah. And they have this wonderful little uh, thing inside a jazz uh, hangout of some sort where Leslie actually gets up and plays. Um, Will has adventures of his own, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) That uh, thankfully take place off scene, off screen. And um, again, you find a character. I don't, Will is, I, I suppose, in a happy place too, but I think you're supposed to focus on Higgins, who is in his Gaelic. He finds the place where his main influence in his hobby that he loves, uh, and he gets to take part in this, this playing this song, which I can only assume was just this hugely immense moment in his life, in this character's life. Yeah, um, he finds a place that he is at home, that it's cozy, that it's comfortable for him, and um, Will gets to to see that uh, because, I mean, Leslie, most of the time he's kind of uptight, um, kind of very business professional, and this is him letting it go, being loose, going mm. with the flow. And so he got a whole new perspective on on Leslie and has a whole new comfort level or coziness with Leslie. Yeah. Now let's talk about Rebecca. This is the character I was mad at. You were mad at this? I was mad at it because it went against the storyline I have been rooting for. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And My wife was the same way. And were the, you were you shipping Rebecca the, and and uh, Theodore Ted? Yes, yeah. um, especially once the the texts were being sent by old Theo. I think I was too, but this episode was so beautiful, and in particular this story. This is where the whole Gaelic uh, magic is happening in this in this story in particular. So Rebecca's on her own; she finds herself isolated from everyone else she's she's undaunted going to enjoy amsterdam and she's walking on a bike lane on a, <laughs> on a bridge she falls into the water after the man uh that she's about to meet tries to warn her that she's standing on a bike lane mm-hmm. and uh he takes her on his houseboat which 
my wife said several times while we were watching, uh, I'd like to live on a houseboat in Amsterdam. <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like, um, was it overboard? Yeah. Um, if you have kids, the houseboat life is not necessarily the life. <laughs> Uh, this also fulfills another one of the uh, psychic's predictions. Oh. Back a few episodes ago, she said she would be upside down and drenched. She was. And that's so that another thing that the psychic said is fulfilled. And this time, you don't even care about that. Because she immediately gets lost in this story with this man who is mysterious and, I'm assuming, dreamy. And very respectful. Yeah. Like over the top, yeah. Respectfulness. Like so over the top at first that so you're like, I don't like this dude. I don't trust him. <laughs> he's up to something, but he's not up to anything. Actually, he's, um, he's just like Rebecca, and this connection forms over kindred spirits in a way. They have a lot mm-hmm. in common, much like Roy and Jamie. Except Roy and Jamie's didn't turn romantic, obviously. Yeah, this one does, but not at first. While they're getting to know each other. They're just really enamored with the mystery of each other. And Rebecca finds out that this man is divorced from his wife and that she cheated on him through the, through the conversations they're having that he was cheated on much like Rebecca. And he says something really, really integral to the Gehelig slash Shalom slash the thing you said. Hesed. Point of the whole episode He said I realized That this thing didn't happen to me It happened for me Mm. And this was right after You know he said He got dangerously close to destroying His family over it Yes And so that's again This was another high point of the episode Where I thought oh I see what they're doing that the idea integral to Gehelic and Shalom, by the way, is that the world is still broken, but you can live in this interesting place in between that, in the present, where you can experience peace, comfort, connection, and that that can transport you somewhere else, somewhere like Gehelic. Mm-hmm. This, this place that's untranslatable, but is just a glimpse of the way things should be if the world weren't broken. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that quote was extremely poignant and huge to the episode. Um, so the, the houseboat, um, like, it was amazing... Um, the 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 interactions that happen there that uh, between Rebecca and um, houseboat guy yeah that, yeah we don't know his name and um, like it seems very deep and it gives a lot of almost spiritual vibes yeah um, and yet. Like, at the end of it, you realize this whole time, you don't know his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's it's so it's so interesting because the point is being made here that they were sharing something quite meaningful in this time. 
and we can use any one of the words we've already used to explain it. They they sing okay, but but it all goes back to this idea of Gehelic and or shalom or whatever we want to call it, where yeah, the world can be broken, we've got things going wrong, but we can still find these places through our connection, through the present. I thought it was very interesting that they're singing She Believes in Me by Kenny Rogers, although they're listening to a version by some quote Dutch bloke. Yes. <laughs> and then they start singing it in their languages. And this is literally a song about a musician whose wife, his his woman, believes in him so much that she's willing to be without him. That's what the song's about. The song's about he's on tour and he's not made it yet. He's not super successful, but she believes in him. And so she's okay to be without him. That even in this brokenness, like, hey, things aren't the way we want them to be, but we find peace and calm in our connection. And, and so even the song kind of fits in with the theme of the episode. Yeah, I, I really appreciated, especially, um, so like she falls asleep before anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he respects her and at the very end of their time together, she is like, I won't ever forget this. Or you, and um, he's like, well, you might, if <laughs> if you get Alzheimer's. <laughs> People get Alzheimer's. Yeah, he makes a great joke there. Yeah. I'm going to rewind to just before that, when she's not sure, because she was inebriated, and she fell asleep. She says, did we? Mm-hmm. And he informs her, no. And then when she leaves, what does he say? He repeats the question to himself, did we? Yes, we did. And of course, he's talking about a different question altogether. And can I just say how refreshing it is that Hollywood, um, who usually accentuates the physical part of a loving relationship to prove that they love each other or that that something is sparking between two characters, in this, this whole story highlights in this answered question that he asks himself, did we? Yes, we did that. Nothing physical happens between them. And yet there's the recognition that this is something amazing has happened between them, that they found something together in this moment and that who they were didn't even matter. They don't know each other's names. That's, that's a highlight played at the end. And I loved that little, that little ad when she leaves and he says that to himself was just a recognition of like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And again, they shared something, even though they didn't know each other, but they, they, they sat in a moment in their connection and it's the scalic. Um, so in, um, Greek terms, usually Hollywood highlights the eros. Mm-hmm. the the intimate love um but in this one i'm not even sure like if we go philos or agape or what we go with on that but like it's a different level uh than just your typical hollywood presentation well i think it's preliminary to those i think it's spiritual almost mm. everything in this episode is presented in this spiritual kind of fashion, which is why I immediately went from gazelle to Shalom. 
Mm -hmm. because it's all so spiritual. Now let's move on to Ted. Teddy. Ted slash Beard, although Beard goes his own way quickly. Uh, (laughs) Ted believes he's under the influence of Beard's special drink, which we later find out was nothing. Yeah. But Ted has an experience. He ends up on his own in this uh, Vincent Van Gogh exhibit. And that's what reminded me of my art experience. I went to a Van Gogh immersive art experience. So like they put all the Van Gogh works uh, in this big room and like one works on the wall at a time, but then like other works start interacting with the work and um, then it starts moving and more works come in and go and, uh, like, it's kind of trippy, but really insightful. And then, like, afterwards, you learn a lot of cool facts about Vinny, as I like to call him. <laughs> His close uh, friends call him that. Yeah. And um, also that uh, he, uh, his sensory of colors might have been way different than ours. Um, that, like, uh, he might have even heard colors. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Which there's a fancy term for, which I'll let you all look up and um, read and be like, yeah, he would have butchered it. So, Did you, while you were in this immersive Van Gogh experience, have a Dutchman walk up behind you and start speaking to you? I wish. <laughs> he starts saying, which I think this is, uh, when you understand, you see the whole scene with this guy who just random clearly works at the museum. He's there for some sort of exposition. Mm-hmm. So I, I made sure to write down what he, what he said. One doesn't expect to get from life. What one has already learned. It cannot give rather one begins to see that life is kind of a sowing time and the harvest is not yet here. Mm. Now, I don't know if he's quoting something. He then goes on to talk about how Vincent was Vince Van Gogh was a preacher's son. And a lot of his famous works happened to deal with sewing. Yeah. But look at what he's and of course, again, you're you're really landing on some some spiritual themes here. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things like look, if if I go through it again. One doesn't expect to get from life what one has already learned it cannot give. Rather, one begins to see there that life is kind of a sowing time and the harvest is not you here. What is it saying? That, yeah, times can be good and bad. Times can be rough. You can be going through the valleys. But there's something better waiting. And that if you understand that, you can have the confidence in the here and now to not be brought too low mm-hmm. by the dark stuff. And how do we do that? Through our connections to our loved ones and to this higher authority that Ted Lasso is not going to get into much because it's not a religious show, but that's the kind of spiritual themes they're, they're playing around with here. So when I say Shalom, that's definitely a hardcore religious term. There's religious connotations to that. Now, Gehelic, maybe not, but maybe so for some, for some Dutch folks. Um, so Ted ends up in the uh, the American Burger Barn, which <laughs> love it. Yeah, Ted is me in this. Oh, everything about the American restaurant is amazing. 
to the to the waiters who are acting American who have no idea what Chicago is. Exactly. <laughs> um, to the moment he sits down with Michael Jordan and Chance the Rapper on the walls, and he starts watching the Chicago Bulls game. That he knows the score to. And I, I don't know if you did, but immediately when they start talking about triangles, I knew where this was going. Oh, yeah. The triangle offense. And when they said Tex winners, I'm like, hey, he coached at K-State besides being the guy that taught Phil Jackson yeah. the triangle. Famous Kansan, Tex winners, came up with the triangle offense. Um, he's, he even makes Ted's notepad, KSU. Tex winners KSU is in the notepad. I paused it just to make sure. Um, and he threw this vision, I guess you could say. It's like Ted's is the hardest to come to, to, to make the connection with Gehelic because I think his still avoids him. He has this vision that I think is going to send him, but I couldn't help but notice there's a lot of allusions to home. Oh, yeah. For Ted. And this isn't home for Ted. And for Ted Gehelic, and for a lot of people, home is Gehelic. Um, so, like, they were in front of the sunflower painting, mm. and he's like, well, that's my state's official flower. Yes, if he says where I'm from, this is our state flower. Yeah. And he's got tears in his eyes. And that was, in that moment especially, you understand that, yeah, Ted's not in the same place that everyone else is getting to in this episode, which just puts more fuel to the fire that this show ends with Ted going home. And I, so I do think that there is something, um, Gehelic about, um, acknowledging that, um, you know, where that comfort, that coziness, that, uh, gregarious place or feeling is mm. and I, he actually takes big steps towards um actually helping his team because he yeah. does stuff uh, dealing with soccer finally like he's doing x's and o's as we would call it um strategizing even though um the way that he does it um, it's already been done by someone in the Netherlands <laughs> in like the seventies. Total football. Yes. Might I posit that Ted is actually contributing to Coach Beard's Gaelic? Yes. Who does his thing? Coach Beard thing goes out, gets crazy, comes back as piggy piggy stardust. Which I love, and that. yet was not under the influence. Mm -hmm. Huh? Different for Coach Beard. Yeah. And Ted, for the first time takes an interest in the strategy of the sport that he is actively engaged in coaching in up to this point, coaches, uh, coach Ted Lasso has been a motivator coach. Yes, that's it. He has, he has no idea about the strategy of, of what the Europeans call football. We call soccer. He doesn't care. But in this episode, remember coach beard actually has points of frustration with him mm -hmm. over this. Like he gets mad at him in season one. It's like winning's important. You know, and I thought that maybe Coach Beard's Gehelic is this storyline. And uh, I, I think that Ted is contributing to it. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. It's yeah. And, so Ted, because of course he is. He's yeah. Ted Lasso. And that relationship goes right along with this, and yeah, deepening that relationship. Um, I their song choice at the beginning and end mm. of this show was interesting. Three Little Birds mm-hmm. by Bob Marley. Robert Marley, as I like to call him. Yeah, naturally, as one does when you're best friends. Although he died before you were born. Yes. Um, Because of his early passing, there's much debate about what this song's about. Mm. There's all sorts of uh, people that were close to him who've given different ideas on what this story's about. One of them is that the three little birds are the Trinity. God the Father, Jesus the Son. Some sense, considering Bob Marley has a very spiritual background. Yes. And I, and I again, posit, well, the message of the song just by itself, no matter what it was, again, highlights this idea of you're in a broken world, but, but everything's going to be okay. You don't have to worry about a thing. You got to connect to something. There's mm-hmm. something you're, you're going to connect to. And the episode continues to point it's a connection to people and a connection to something bigger. Um, and this show is not going to give you the specifications on that. But they're going to give you the words. Gehelic. And I'm going to give you another word. Shalom. Cody gave you another word. Chesed. And it's beautiful. Like this episode, we've. this is going to be our longest watch along ever. The episode was one of the longest Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso episodes ever. I really enjoyed it. And it was a beautifully deep episode and it ends with them all converging back on the bus and the last one on the bus is rebecca and she's a different person very and she's relaxed nothing else matters don't and she starts singing don't worry about a thing every little thing's gonna be all right a song she hated and i think every episode from here on out is gonna be like just positive I'm hoping. I think this was the major swinging hinge moment of the season. And I think we're about to have good times. Also, well, before I forget, before we move on, I thought, I think it's of huge importance that in Ted's quote unquote vision, the only person he sees that he knows is Nate. Nate. He, 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 Nate appears to him as one of the waiters it's not really Nate, but he sees Nate, and I think that's huge. I think that's really important. Yeah, that, that his his Gehelig is has something to do with Nate. Mm. Bring Nate over to the good side. It's gonna happen. I'm, I'll, I'm just here once again reminding you that I'm here for the Nate Redemption arc. <laughs> I'm not doing a voice. <laughs> All right, down that one. Anything else you want to say about the episode? I feel like I could talk about this episode for another couple hours. I'm ready for the winners and losers. Who's the winner of the episode? Jamie Tart. Do, 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 do. They get the and Roy. I mean, they they go hand in hand on this episode. They get the least screen time of any of those major stories. And every time they were on screen, I just had this big, goofy smile. Mm -hmm. It was kind of beautiful. It was. It was kind of beautiful. That's not where I was thinking, but I can't I can't disagree. Jamie Tart and Jamie Tart's really turning into something glorious in front of our eyes. And yet he did not get nominated for an Emmy. You <laughs> fascist. Um, 
I'm going to give my my winner of the week, winner of the episode to Hannah Waddingham, the actress who plays Rebecca. I thought she was her and the Dutch actor. Every scene was fantastic. Just splendid. The whole episode could have just been their night and I wouldn't have been disappointed. It was yeah. wonderful. Wonderful stuff. Um, loser of the episode. There's really only one correct answer here, by the way. Oh, so I'm going to go off the beaten path. Okay. You're going to give me the dark horse. Um, well, it's one that was only specific to me. Um, it was either my fiber internet or <laughs> Apple TV. So the scene that Ted's in the art exhibit uh-huh. and um the the dutchman is behind him giving him this beautiful line like oh, i no. am at gehelic there like oh no i'm i'm with him and like this very specific scene with like 26 minutes and like 7 seconds left um it stops kicks me out and then oh. i have to go back and like it kept doing it, and like I could fast forward past it by like a couple seconds, but it just ruined the flow. Oh man! And so the loser is like I'm the loser in this because I did I was not get say to, you're the loser of the episode. Uh, in but this equation. the the loser of being a jabroni is either my fiber internet or Apple TV or the forces of evil that work against me. I don't know. <laughs> Ever since we had this windstorm a couple weeks ago, the internet has been suspect. Yes. Cause mine cut out a couple times, not in that scene. Oh, I was not happy or not cozy or Gregorious or at peace or <laughs> I was missing something. <laughs> uh, my loser of the episode was going to be very much straightforward and maybe the loser of the season now it can't be Nate because Nate's Gehelic is not here. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not time yet. Uh, the loser of the episode's Keely, who they unceremoniously unceres- boot off at the beginning of the episode, and you don't see her again. She gets to have no part in the Gehelic either, but mostly because I don't think they know what to do with her. I think they're building still. Yeah, she's clearly at this point just a um, someone who affects Roy. Roy, yeah, Roy Kent, and uh, yeah. So I think. I don't know who her agent is, that actress, but he he could have he could have done some more work and been like, "Hey, uh, these scripts you sent me, how come my client doesn't get to do anything? She hasn't got to do much." Maybe second half of the season. I think it's coming. I think her and Roy. Like I said, I think we're going to get the Wayne's World uh, super duper happy ending for all of all of the characters. I think this was the swinging hinge of the whole season. And from here on out, everything gets good. That's just what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. Kahelic. Remember as we take leave of you this week, remember what our mysterious Dutchman says of Kahelic and what, what we've told you that it has in common with Shalom and Hesed for us English-speaking people that can't do the hard H. There is no direct English translation, I think. It can mean cozy, like a warm fire. But you can also keep your mind gehelic. You know, your heart, your soul, the people you're with, the places you go. This is how he describes gehelic. 
to Rebecca and he says, this here right now is Gehelic. We hope that your week is Gehelic and that you are connected with the people you love, the people who bring light to your world. And of course, as pastors, we hope you're connected to the higher authority that can also bring you shalom. Or hesed. Or hesed. <laughs> this is Pop Culture Pastor. Thank you for listening. Uh, big pod coming out on Friday. Make sure and subscribe so you don't miss anything. We'll see you next time.